0: I'm curious, do you want to know how to achieve lasting positive transformation, abundance and empower your life? If you are not happy with where you are today and the repeating patterns that represent in your life over and over again, then a radical shift is what's required to help you make changes and live your life more on purpose. All you need to do is sign up to our email list and you will receive an online module on how to create radical paradigm shifts. You can get it completely for free when you sign up to our email list at Catherineplano.com. and as a valued subscriber, you are also going to get exclusive content that's only available to our email subscribers where we will have members-only events, free access to online masterclasses, VIP and discount tickets to all events. Only available for people on our email list, we offer bonus content with more advanced tips that are exclusive just for our email subscribers. There is amazing stuff available for you, only if you sign up to the email list, and you can do that by going to katharineplano.com and sign up on the homepage. This week, we have a very special lady for you, Heather Preet. Heather is a LA-based mindfulness facilitator that works with a diverse range of clientele, including those in recovery, people coping with depression, anxiety, cancer survivors, men and women battling with chronic health and pain issues, those suffering from PTSD, as well as fellow clinicians combating Compassion Fatigue Syndrome. Her training began with Tibetan compassion practices in 1998, traveling the world to learn under masters in both India and Europe. In 2011, she became a certified mindfulness facilitator at ucla where she also taught mindful awareness classes as well as courses online currently she's a co-creator and master teacher for the den meditation teacher training program her joy is watching her clients develop the tools necessary to tap into their own inner wisdom enabling them to forge their own path towards healing and self-compassion her training has included yearly retreats including 30 consecutive days in silence, I don't know if I could do that, and over 20 years of personal practice. She's been featured on E! as well as in publications such as Time Magazine, The Times of India and Femme Competitor. Her teaching on joy can be viewed on Mindful Magazine's January 2018 online edition. It's now time to tune into this extremely mindful and compassionate human being. Enjoy. Well, this week, as always, we always have a super amazing guest for you. We have Heather Preet all the way from Los Angeles. Welcome to Iron Woman Project. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much. So I was just explaining to Heather, uh, she specializes in mindfulness, which is something that we haven't covered much in this show. So I'm really excited. And Heather, as we always love to start the show with our Woman of Inspiration's unique story. So tell us, what is your unique story and what inspired you to do what you do today?
1: Mm. So I guess that I, when we talk about what inspired me, I really have to go back far, um, into sort of my teenage years, because what really inspired this whole journey was, uh, difficulty. Um, and when I was a teenager, I, I developed, um, depression and anxiety, a lot of emotional difficulties. Um, I had some loss in my life and those, um, sort of, uh, those emotional difficulties, uh, followed me and they only intensified. And the thing about this story is that, I didn't know how to work with them. And so my life really became quite clouded by just trying to manage feeling okay. I also developed, um, chronic pain in my body. I'd had an accident where I got, um, I fell off a horse or I got flipped off a horse actually. And so I had inflammation and, um, injury in my spine and, and also uh, in in my muscles and my back that we never really quite figured out how to care for properly mainly because I was I was young and I didn't tell my mom what happened but as we do mm-hmm. so there was just a lot of suffering and and um, I began searching uh, becoming very interested in contemplative practices when I was in college in psychology and. Uh, as well as theater, I was a theater actor, a professional theater actor for a while as well, and and I I finally started um, finding books and teachers that talked about mindfulness. And actually, back in the day, it wasn't so much called mindfulness; it was more like Buddhism, uh, because we didn't have the secularization quite yet. And I found that when I read these books, it was like a light bulb was going off, but it was going off in my heart <laughs> and I realized that there was this entire system that was part of the self that I had never been taught how to tap into. So it was um, it's been about twenty years and of course through practice and transformation, what your deep heartfelt wish ends up being is sharing it with others. And I actually eventually let go of, of, uh, theater and moved into, um, helping people full time with these practices and with Buddhist psychology, with secular mindfulness, uh, teaching through UCLA's mindful awareness research center and having my own private practice. So, it's really, it was really about my personal journey uh, and then just having this deep desire to help others in the same way that I had found help for myself.
0: Mm, I love that. And it's always mm. the way, isn't it? It's through our pain and yeah. our suffering that we find the light. I would love to mm. unpack mindfulness a little bit because I'm sure mm. there's so many different. Uh, ways that people describe what is mindfulness. Would you like to mm-hmm. share with us what exactly is mindfulness and how does one do mindfulness?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So a really easy way to um, break this down is is with there's simp- there are very simple definitions. So mindfulness is paying attention on purpose to the present moment with a kindness and a curiosity. So what we're learning to do actually is train the mind. Uh, We have different aspects of our minds. We have our thinking mind. It's that part that plans and tells you you didn't do a good job and why didn't you do a good job and don't go to sleep because you have to think of all the ways that you can do a better job tomorrow. Um, It's the one that that has worry about the future. Um, If this happens, then this is certainly going to happen again. And how can we plan around that? It's the voice that um, tells you that, you know, other people have the playbook for life and you don't, uh, that we're separate from others. So we have this thinking mind, and the thinking mind was really meant to scan the environment and look for physical threats on the horizon. And so it's connected to our fight, flight, or freeze. It's connected to our amygdala activity. All of that stuff that gets us revved up, that makes us snap um, at our friends, or makes us withdraw when we really want to be loved, or makes us. Um, afraid to try and to achieve. Uh, and so when we think about how active this mechanism is in our life, we see, wow, if there's something else here, then I really want to utilize it. And actually there is. And so this mindfulness, mindfulness whose activity is paying attention on purpose to the present moment with a curiosity, a kindness. Um, this is something that we can't see. We can't see mindfulness, but we can see the way it affects the brain. So we can see that it calms our amygdala. We can see that it calms the centers that have to do with rumination and anxiety. We can see that it activates our prefrontal cortex, which has to do with wisdom, seeing the big picture, feeling embodied. So when we're practicing mindfulness, it's as simple as something like bringing the thinking mind back to this present moment again and again. Say we're off thinking about the next thing we have to do and we realize we're missing this moment with our friend. In that moment of realizing, that's a moment of mindfulness. Ah, I'm caught in thought. I'm far away. This present moment has dissolved and I'm going to miss the beauty of my life. In that moment, we can make a choice to gently guide ourselves back and rest on something that's here right now, and maybe something that's connected to the heart, like looking at the eyes of our friend and feeling that joy of the kindness that we see, or feeling that connection. So when we practice, we do something that's called informal practice. That's like mindfulness in daily life. We also have formal practice, which is what people think of as meditation. When we just allow ourselves to take time, it's like doing sit-ups for our mind training, bringing ourselves back to our breath or body or sound, something that's here right now, again and again, with a kindness, with a gentleness. Over time, this kindness, this gentleness, and this present moment awareness becomes a trait. And it becomes more easy to let go of that ruminating thought or that anxious thought Or that thought of being separate or that thought of lack or the inner critic that says you're just not good enough or tells you that you shouldn't try for fear of failure. All those things that we want to let go of so we can really enter into the world um, aware, awake, and present um, that gives us our resiliency, our strength, and our creative flow. Yeah, that's just in a nutshell kind of a description of what mindfulness is.
0: I'm sitting here going, you have got such a hypnotic voice that I hope our listeners are not driving when they're listening to this interview because I could feel myself dropping in my chair. That's hilarious. Beautiful. So Heather, what I'm curious about, and and we hear there's the this increase of anxiety, um, and yeah. it's it's you know like one in every three or something like that. Now yes. it just keeps on going high and high. Yes. When you were talking about being present, and it's interesting because mm-hmm. we had this conversation the other day. When you're present with anxiety, it's it's like you get on this loop where um you start. feeling. Think it, Well, you, you feel it, right? It might be a sensation mm-hmm. in your body and then you think mm-hmm. about it and then your fear is going to get worse and then you feel it's getting worse and you think it's going to get – and it just is this loop, right? That's right. And that's, that's when right. you're actually being in the present. So how mm-hmm. does one um, snap out of that loop by being mm-hmm. present? Because when they're in the present, they're actually sitting with it. And I've tried mm-hmm. it myself. I've, I have um, – I um, Had some interesting anxiety experiences, and um, Mm -hmm. so I've 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 actually done that myself, but could not pull
1: myself out of that loop. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is really important to know, you know, that anxiety is difficult. Um, It's it's one of the things that activates the fight, flight, or freeze mechanism so strongly. And so we don't want to battle ourselves in that moment. When we're in it, when we're really feeling overwhelmed by anxiety, which I think is what you're talking about, when you're really feeling that anxiety has a grip on you. In that moment, we don't want to fight. We don't want to say, oh, I got to get to my mindfulness. We don't want to say, why can't I get out of this? In that moment, the best thing to do is something very, very simple like ground or tie titrate. So we can bring our awareness to something that's pleasant to neutral. That's happening right now. So instead of addressing the anxiety immediately, like we, I know that for many of us, we do have anxiety, but we want to slowly work with it so that we have enough mindfulness to hold space for it in the future. But it's like building a muscle. You know what I mean? It's like, if I told you to lift the 500 pound weight, the first time we went to the gym, you'd be like, I'm not going to that person again. We have to lift the three pound weight first. So we want to start doing simple things when we're in the anxiety, when you're in that moment, simple things like turning and counting the amount of uh, things that you see that are blue and just labeling them. So blue chair, blue pillow, blue sky. This labeling is a way to activate the prefrontal cortex. And when the prefrontal cortex activates, it starts to calm our amygdala. Another thing we can do is we can start simply labeling anxiety, but can we label it without fear of wanting to run from it? So, anxiety is here. This is what anxiety is feeling like. Anxiety is arising. We're not saying, I am anxious. We're starting to just develop the simple tool of being able to step back and see anxiety for what it is, which is an energy. Another thing that we can do is the joy practice. And this is so, so, so important for those of us who have anxiety. And we want to do this when we're not having an anxiety attack, but we can also refer to it when we are having anxiety. Joy is seeing all the causes and conditions for well-being that are present right now. And they're all around us. There's always something that we can focus on. As simple as seeing a tree outside your window and knowing that that tree is providing oxygen. Or seeing a cloud in the sky and simply knowing that that cloud is tre- it's, it's bringing water to um, the gardens, to the fields, to the, um, the, the farmers that grow our food. Starting to see this interconnectivity and starting to rejoice in small things is essential for building the strength we need. For when anxiety arises. Remember, we have a negativity bias of the brain, so it's normal to constantly be looking at what's wrong. That's why we have to train the mind to see what's beautiful and what's right, because we have to be able to access that when our tunnel vision comes in, when things feel so overwhelming. When the wrong sinks so big and we can't see anything else, if we've trained and seen that there is support, there is beauty, there is interconnectivity all around us, then we have some place to land when we're feeling um, that, that intensely difficult emotion of anxiety. Does that help? Yeah, absolutely. I'm writing this all down. I love the listening, <laughs>
0: the grip, because I think that's what you do. You do hang on to it. But I know that from my experience that the more that I feared it and I um, was separated from it, the worse it became. It was only when mm-hmm. I actually danced with it, uh, mm-hmm. integrated it, as, um, mm-hmm. and being the observer of it really right. changed my uh, response. So from a, a response to maybe having
1: a panic attack, for example.
0: Mm-hmm. So I do and love is- that.
1: Yeah. And you're, you're touching on that next step, which is so important, which is eventually we make friends with the anxiety. And then we realize we have to care for it. And that's where self compassion comes in. You know, that dance that you're talking about, Mm -hmm. about like she's, you know, to the viewers or to the listeners, we're talking about the fact that eventually you get to the point where you can see it and it doesn't have to be your enemy. You know, our system is very innocent. It's Mm -hmm. just doing what it does. So the thoughts feed it so we want to come back from thoughts to present moment and we need to be able to feel that sense of support while we're with the anxiety so it's not running it's not pushing it away and you know it's beautiful that you're talking about the fact that eventually we integrate it and this is this was my journey with my anxiety i just loved the crap out of it for a year
0: mm.
1: until finally now those neurons are wired together so that when anxiety arises a voice of self-compassion comes up and says, hello, my darling, I see you. And then one energy can care for the other. So we want to be so gentle, just gentle, gentle. Mm, yeah, thank you, yeah. No,
0: it's so true. And I think compassion a, is a, you know, we talk about the difference between what compassion and empathy is. And empathy is like really mm-hmm. sitting in it, feeling it, hearing it, mm-hmm. you know, um, seeing mm-hmm. it for what it is. But compassion mm-hmm. is more side by side.
1: It's It's mm-hmm. walking with you. Do you agree? That's right. Oh, I 100%. So I really love to talk about the difference between empathy and compassion because some of us... um, who are who have a lot of anxiety? It comes from being hyper empathetic, and that was really my case. I was so hyper empathetic, and and what we're referring to here is when we suffer with, which is the definition of compassion. But when we're talking about compassion and mindfulness, we're talking about a, a different uh, state of 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 mind. We we actually call compassion a mind rather than an emotion, and so empathy is when we suffer with when and, and we really feel the depths of the pain. It was so, of the other, and it was so um, saddening when I was studying psych and it said that hyper-empathetic people are actually the worst people to help in any situation. So so if we're hyper-empathetic, what we're doing is we're actually becoming dysregulated. Mm. Compassion has mindfulness. It has love. It has equanimity, which is so important, which is this balance of mind and the acceptance of what is. And it's a large, large space, like a large container that can hold the suffering without being disturbed by it. And it has a deep desire and the ability, and this is important, the ability to transform suffering. So we need this incredibly strong aspect To touch into our suffering. So we want to develop that. We want to develop this um, equanimous, strong base of the heart that sees suffering, quivers in the face of suffering, cares, and has the ability to transform suffering. And it is very different mechanisms in the brain. Um, There's some interesting science around that if you're interested Mm, at all. Absolutely. Okay, so one of the neat things about um, some of the studies they did where they would put long-term meditators in MRIs was the study of, of what happens, uh, what's compassion in the average person, the person who doesn't practice, and then the person who practices compassion in the way that we're speaking. And what they saw was when they, if you go into an MRI and let's say you hear a baby crying, In the MRI, they put on an audio of a child crying. At first, the compassion centers, and then the empathy centers light up. So it's this desire to to help soothe suffering. But if we can't change it, eventually what centers do you think light up in the brain? (laughs) So if you've ever had a colicky baby, and we're going to be really honest with ourselves, agitation arises. Mm. (laughs) Over time, anger arises, frustration, all these negative, contractive emotions that cause us to suffer. And they block the heart qualities. Whereas in compassion, and for long-term meditators, was unwavering. They would hear Crying Baby, the compassion centers would light up, the love and peace centers as well, by the way. And they would be unwavering no, 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 how, no matter how long that stimuli lasted. And that's that equanimity. That's that acceptance of the present moment that allows the heart to stay open. So even when the anxiety kicks and screams and says, you have to do something about this, we just say, I know I'm here for you. I know. I know you're scared. Whenever you're ready, whenever you're ready, I'm here. You know, mm-hmm. And eventually that anxiety starts to trust that, Compassion is strong enough that it's non-reactive and that there's a safe place for the anxiety to land. And as those neurons wire together, it takes time as they wire together. And that anxiety always has the strong and stable base of compassion to hold it so we can make wise choices so we don't suffer.
0: Mm. Yeah. So Heather, with meditation, yeah. we tend to, and there's different forms of meditation, I understand, but I know that mm-hmm. from some of my different teachings and experience, whether they yeah. say to focus on the Ajna and then mm-hmm. actually go into that third eye and just mm-hmm. sit there and you can do a mantra, whatever that may be, until you there's light that comes through. Yeah. But what I'm hearing from you, it's really yeah. sitting in your heart space, isn't it? To really meditate within your heart space (laughs) and not so much in your ajna. Is that correct?
1: Yes. We yeah. We have two wings of the bird. So one is mindfulness is which is so important and, and even in the practice you were just describing of going to third eye of mantra That's all mindfulness, right? It's mm-hmm. being able to rest the mind on something A mantra is in the present moment because we're just simply creating the words We're not often thought um, Present moment the third eye resting the awareness on a part of the body and then a part of the subtle body is what it ends up being So all that's mindfulness and mindfulness is that present moment awareness and We need that for all of the practices and then our second wing of the bird for us are the heart qualities. And those are all the qualities that then come in to care for what's here. So without the heart qualities, it's like something like anger. Let's say let's say anger is salt, okay? And we without the heart qualities, all of our awareness is so small. It's like we, we have a tiny glass of water and we put that tablespoon of salt in it. That water is going to be very disturbed. It's going to turn into salt. And that's how we're experiencing daily life. The heart practices, on the other hand, show us that there's another aspect of who we are that is so expansive. It's like taking that same teaspoon of salt and putting it into a lake. And the lake is completely undisturbed because the expansiveness of our heart-mind can hold All of our humanness, and that's actually its purpose. Its purpose is to bring equanimity to our humanness, which is balance of mind and acceptance, to bring compassion, which is the quivering of the heart and the ability to transform suffering, Um, joy, which is knowing that there are causes and conditions for future well being all around us if we choose to take advantage of them, and loving kindness, which is this well wishing just because, just because the heart loves to connect and wish happiness, peace. Um, health and body and mind, and a feeling of safety for all living beings. And as we drop into that space, we find that that space is already expansive. It just takes time to sort of clear the the mud off the diamond. All of those obscurations from thoughts, from our habit energies, may have made it harder for us to tap into the heart-mind, but I want everyone to know for sure, 100%, it's there. It's just we're slowly training to be able to be in it, to recognize it, and eventually live through it. Is that mm. helpful?
0: Absolutely. So you're saying the mindfulness is is that, t- you know, whether it's the mantra or that focus that you, with your third mm-hmm. eye, and then obviously mm-hmm. when you go and drop into a formal meditation um, mm-hmm. where you can actually get into that heart space, that expansion that you speak
1: about. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And over time with gentle, consistent application, that heart space is accessible to us in daily life.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay.
1: So we can, because we've activated those neurons, we've started to create a familiarity. We can then bring it in when we need it. So compassion when your boss yells at you, self-compassion arising, right? Or when we're feeling blue, seeing the causes and conditions for well-being, joy arising. Right. Yeah. yeah,
0: that would take practice. Mm-hmm. I could just say some if my boss lost uh, their plot at me, I'm sure that that would t- just take a lot of um, practice to be compassion. Mm.
1: Yes, absolutely. And so you know, what's really nice is we can also bring in a compassionate figure. It's like you can, before we find that sort of heart of compassion, bring in a compassionate figure, go take five minutes in the bathroom or or in your office or take a walk and just recall a time in which you felt cared for. This can release oxytocin into our system. We can even place our hand on our heart, which releases oxytocin, that wonderful neuropeptide for healing and well-being that calms our amygdala. And if we start recalling maybe a kind grandparent or maybe it's a spiritual figure or a historical figure that opens our heart. And we just bring that knowing with us. And maybe even they place their hand on our heart, in our imagination, or we hear what would they say to us or a best friend. Because what we want to do is we want to start bringing in this sort of opposing force to fear and feeling alone and that inner critic because what's true is much larger than those little things, right? Mm. And then over time with our practice, as we sit on the cushion, we will have the immediate pain come up when the boss yells. That's normal, that's natural, and we want to accept and embrace it. And then we know, okay, now I need the healing medicine of self-compassion because this hurts. It's like if you get a headache, you accept the headache is there, and then you know you have to take the aspirin. Mm -hmm. right so first ow that hurts and then i'm here for you i care about you i'm listening you're safe
0: right thank you for that Mm -hmm. so how would you deal with an inner critic that's something we talk a lot about on the show yeah has their own ways of dealing with an inner critic what do you do
1: Yeah. So I worked for a long time with my inner critic. My inner critic caused me a lot of anxiety, as I'm sure it does in depression. Right. Mm -hmm. And that inner critic, first of all, the inner critic is here trying to help you. It's just very misguided. It's trying to help you from experiencing emotional pain. Look, if, if you, if you take one risk and it ends up with embarrassment, that's not a big deal, but to the thinking mind it is. It says, oh, this is my job to protect you from feeling that tightness in your chest and that sinking in your stomach ever again. And so it comes in and says, don't take that risk, or you won't succeed, or remember what happened last time. So the first thing we want to do is we want to notice, where is my inner critic coming in in my life? That's huge. Mm-hmm. Most of us don't notice because it's subconscious. It's sort of in the background because it's, it's – um, it, something Thich Han calls radio station, uh, NTS, not oh, NST nonstop thinking. Right. So, you know, when something's in the background all the time, you, you just sort of start tuning it out. So the first thing notice, where is that inner critic coming in? Um, so, Oh, I notice it comes around parenting or it comes around my physical appearance or it comes around my work or my creativity. So we want to start first noticing, okay, it's here. Second, Can we also accept it's not trying to harm us, although it's problematic and we do need to train it. It's not trying to harm us. It's trying to help. Okay. I see. I understand you're trying to protect me, but we have another way. And then the third thing now is when I hear the inner critic, I label it and that's so important. I just go, Oh, inner critic and do it with a smile. It's like, of course it showed up now. It's like your annoying friend that always shows up at every party Right. Yep. And it's like, they're kind of your friend, but kind of not. And they're, they're always saying, Oh, of course they're here. Cause I'm, you know, <laughs> whatever I'm trying to try to talk to this guy or I'm trying to do this or that. And so it's like, Oh, of course it's here inner critic. And then what we want to do is develop a compassionate phrase that then we can say to ourselves. And so that compassionate phrase would be, uh, what would, what would the kindest person in your life say to you or the kindest figure that you can imagine? So if you have an inner critic that says you'll fail, you know, a, a wise, compassionate figure would say failure is a part of life, but we don't have to be afraid because I know that you'll grow through this and you have all the capacity to make this happen. Something that is opposing. So inner critic says, you'll never, um, you know, no one likes you. We have that one a lot, weirdly, human beings. You know, oh, they don't like you. What would the inner critic say? And if this is, I mean, what would the self-compassionate voice say? And that's different for each of us. So we want to start um, creating another dialogue. And then over time, when we sit, we can find the aspect of the self that hurts when that inner critic says that mean thing. So then I drop into my body and I find, oof, that hurt. And I just sort of say to myself, ow, I know that that hurts. I'm here for you. And I send some love to the part of my body that's feeling the pain. You know, when the inner critic comes in, it's like getting a punch or a pinch. And we want to come in and then we want to care for that aspect with a soothing, um, compassionate response, just like you would to a child who hurt themselves on the playground. We'd pick them up and we'd rock them. And even if their knee was still scraped, the child would calm simply through the act of compassion.
0: Mm, I love that. And I love the um, the process because I um, have done a bit of work myself and I actually gave my inner critic a name because that mm-hmm. was the only way I was able to work with it was to separate myself Ugh. from it because it was so yeah. deeply ingrained into that deeper part of my mind.
1: Yes, I love that. What 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 was the name? Will you share with
0: us? Yes, Roger. Which, which is really funny, and I I actually kept it a secret for such a long time, and, and people have said to me, why Roger? And I went, I don't know, it was the first thing that came up when I said, what is your name? Give me a name, and Roger came up, so I use, I I use the name Roger, and I actually now can really identify the tone of voice, the feeling, yeah. like I can actually separate the difference between um, uh, when he arises and when he doesn't. And I think Roger for me was, um, my, you know, my saboteur as well. It was very much mm-hmm. about anything, uh, that w- if I was at the brink of success in something, it would jump mm-hmm. in, uh, mm-hmm. and sabotage uh, my success. Mm-hmm. So there was a fear of success. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
1: Beautiful. That's mm. beautiful. And so see, she spotted right where he, he came in to tr- mm. try to protect you, right? Absolutely. So he, he said, there's fear here. So, but, but, but this inner critic protects us by crippling us, right? Yes. By yes. making us terrified, small, and, and we can't live our life to our fullest. Mm. So true. So, so true. what happened when you, when you got, got uh, Roger uh, under control?
0: Well, I know it was, you know, it's then I did the inner child work, which I actually realised yeah. that, you know, the fear of success um, because uh, when I actually came to Australia, um, mm-hmm. you know, not speaking the language, um, I'm French. And so, mm-hmm. you know, and going through that school that every time I stood mm-hmm. up in class and had to talk or read out loud, people would make fun of me because of my accent and so forth. So if every time I was in a, a, a moment where there was all eyes on me, Mm -hmm. Uh, I actually um, was really, really scared but also I was always ridiculed and not accepted. So I know that that was, you know, success to me is standing in your light, right? Yes, yes. And so it was stopping me doing that because it was keeping me safe and protected and and every time, you know, it's almost like I could hear Roger saying, Catherine, remember what happened the last time you did that?
1: Right. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes.
0: So I oh, had to do amazing. a lot of that work.
1: Yeah. So this is so beautiful. You know, this is something that I, I love uh, working with people on, uh, which is that inner child work. Because, you know, you know, you know that the idea of inner child got kind of confiscated by sort of like a woo kind of a, you know, it, it has a, that 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 phrase has a bad reputation, basically, mm-hmm. It's not scientifically based or, or, or you know, but Really, what what we're talking about is the fact that the past is in the present. Mm -hmm. I mean, we have all that intense wiring, especially from trauma, be it small T or large T from our childhood, and it's wired into our system. You know so when we're when we're working with that inner child, I mean that child is here, that little girl who is made fun of she's here, mm-hmm. and she is responding to the world this this world that she's in now, but she's stuck in the past, right Mhm, yeah. And, and, and through mindfulness practice, and actually I'm going to say, if any of your listeners are interested, there's a great book by Thich Nhat Hanh called Reconciliation that talks about working with the inner child through mindfulness. And I highly recommend it. Um, But when we go in, we get to now bring that little girl into the present it's like we are saying, look, sweetheart, we're here. I'm here for you. We're grown up. We're safe. Look at all the amazing things that we do. And over time, there's rewiring and then there's integration where that that little girl gets to heal. Yep. And she becomes a part of our adult self. You know, it's, it's just such amazing and fascinating work. Absolutely. And that's why it's
0: really important, I think, to – Uh, spend time on self, because only then can you really, uh, you know, unpack what's going on at that deeper unconscious part of
1: your mind. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely right. And this is all insight practice. And so what we're doing is, uh, we're opening, when we go into mindfulness, we're calming our default mode network. And we're inviting um, access to what we call the store consciousness in the psychology, which is called the subconscious in Western psychology. So we don't, we don't talk about it. We don't think about it. What we're doing is we are observing it. We're having insight into it. We are meeting it and we're developing a relationship with it. And that relationship is a relationship of the heart. And, you know, the heart is what heals. Mm. It just, that's it. And so if we can start coming in and just like you did, you know, and care for these aspects Um, real change happens in our life. And, and, you know, I want to talk about women and strength really quick. I'm not sure. And I'm sorry if your listeners are hearing a buzz. I obviously did something wrong on uh, my technical side here. Are you hearing that little buzz? Yeah, that's okay. Okay, great. So, you know, about women and strength, it's so important. And I'm going to just go on a limb here, you know, and take it or leave it. I'm, I'm in America and I know that people are listening all over the world But we not only carry the repercussions of culture um, and social messages from our lifetime, but from the lifetimes of those previous to us, that we know that genetics and wiring are passed down. Mm -hmm. So this... This type of work, whether it's because you want to do your business in this world or it's just because you want to heal and you want to be the strongest self or because you want to be politically active or socially active or you want to be able to care for your children fully and presently, it doesn't matter what our motivation is. It all comes to the same place and no motivation is less or more. It is our obligation as women who have access to these practices to take the suffering of those who came before us and the suffering we've experienced. We may be living in a place, uh, that promotes rape culture. Mm. We may be living in a place in which women are not giving equal jobs and equal pay, or we may be living in a country where women are not educated. Mm. We can heal and become strong no matter what our society or are the past generations, societies or cultures have put on them. You know, there's an inner strength within all of us that's that is far beyond the roles that we're told we're meant to play, are far beyond the messages are being less than, are far beyond um, the uh the fear that if we speak up, there will be repercussions. You know, for this, this healing to take place for women. It's our birthright, and it's so important, and you all have access to it. And we can heal sexual trauma. We can heal um, um, neglect. We can heal identifying with ourselves as um, an object or thinking that our only value or worth comes from our appearance. We can heal our fear of our voice or our success. And so as a woman, I just really want to say that that this is, um, this is something no one can ever take away from you. You just have to know it's there. That diamond is never harmed by the mud.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We just need to know that the brilliance and strength of the heart is there and the practices gently clean off the diamond so that you can come into this world, you know, complete, integrated, strong, brave, beyond measure.
0: Mm. Thank you for that. I've got goosebumps. In the middle of summer, that's pretty good. (laughs) 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 So Heather, the other thing that we love to ask our women of inspiration is pain points. We believe we all have pain points. What would be a pain point that you experience and how do you uh, work through your
1: pain points? Yes. So um, the, at pain points I was, I saw, uh, I, I realized that question and I thought, oh, that could be so different for so many different people, how we mm, interpret this. That's right. Um and what came to mind was, interestingly, because we're talking about women in business and women in the world succeeding, was, and I think a lot of women may be able to identify with this, I could be wrong, um, was the real struggle to ask for, um, monetary compensation for my work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I can that relate to familiar?
0: absolutely. Okay. I a lot of my clients <laughs> that I work with, especially in business and entrepreneurs. Exactly, this is exactly the topic you talk about. It's I don't know how much to charge, and it's all it all goes back
1: to self worth. That's right. That's right. And this these messages. I mean, and they're so intricate. The messages that. Oh, you're a good girl if you just give and you don't receive, right? Yes. That we're meant to serve. Um, the fact uh, of like, oh, what I have, it, it's, it's probably not that great. Or you might judge it. Or uh, my big thing is that, that I'm a natural caretaker. I don't mm-hmm. know about, you know, I think that not all women, but a good deal of us have that sort of natural caretaking yep. where we always put others before ourselves. Yes. And so it's like, it was like, it's like a, con- a contraction in my body to, um, you know, state my rate. Because I want to say, Oh, but are you okay financially? And is that okay for you? And, and, and listen, I'm not perfect at this. I do quite a bit. And I, and I, and I, and the, on the flip side, I value the fact that I do have sliding scale clients, but it took a lot for me to say. And that's the cap I have now on sliding scale clients. Because what I learned and what I hope that we're all going to practice, you know, if we, if it, if we're called to it, is that we have to bring ourselves into the circle of compassion. Mm -hmm. Yes. Right. It's like the, that, that we forget ourselves. And and, and I do find this with women quite a bit. It's very common. And it may be for men too. It's just that I'm, I live in a woman's body. So this is my experience. And a lot of my clients, a lot of my students really struggle with this. It's that they are so good at having compassion for others, but they have never been taught to turn it towards the self. And if we don't bring ourselves into that circle of compassion, if we don't say I have to be supported um, financially so that I can rest and I can live in a comfortable manner and I can support my children or, or, or whatever other obligations we have, our parents, I mean, we're many of us are age where our parents need help. If we're not doing that for ourselves, then we can't help others. You know, and I really had to have a lot of mentoring with my mentor around this about really looking deeply. What are the messages that keep me from saying, this is what I need and I will give you this. This is my talent or this is my, what I have to to give to the world. And in exchange, the energy of money needs to come back to me so I can support myself. So I can continue to give this. And my, my mentor had me read a book called The Soul of Money, which I thought was a really interesting book that might help some women, especially if we're in the helping profession, if that naturally contradicts the the, the ability to actually receive um, from giving. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I can relate to it. And I think I, even myself, I had to do a lot of work. And that was 10 years ago. But I remember that for me, it was really an exchange of energy. And I said to yeah. myself, Catherine, would you go into a dentist, get your teeth done and walk out? Absolutely not. Exactly. <laughs> so it is, it's very much about that it's an exchange of energy. And if you keep giving and giving and giving and not accepting, there's not a fair
1: exchange of energy. That's right. That is right. And one, and if there's not a fair exchange of energy, one side, the one that's, that's being deprived of the energy will wilt, it, it, it will dissolve. Um, we, we all need care. That's every aspect of the universe needs care. Whether it's care from the sun, whether it's, um, you know, the, the soil and the trees. I mean, if we, we can break it down to the tiniest atoms and something is caring for them. There's always something that's replenishing and it's a cycle. It's a circle. And, and we so often step out and think, and then we think, well, why am I depressed? Why do I feel depleted? Why am I getting irritable? Why am I, you know, feeling disconnected from myself?
0: Mm, I love that. So Heather, as mm. we wrap up the show, we always yeah. love to ask our woman of inspiration, pick one mm. word that best describes her personal brand. What would be that one word for you?
1: Mm, I would say compassion. Yes. Because I think that compassion is the strongest force that we have in the universe. When we think about the most compassionate figures in our histories and in, in all of our countries, we see that they were the ones that were able to move mountains, that fearlessness, that strength. It's not a soft word, although it comes from the softness of our heart. That heart is also resilient, and we need compassion in order to to live in this human realm. It's the mm-hmm. human self.
0: Yeah. yeah beautiful. And the other thing that we do is we wrap up the show. We always love to ask our woman of inspiration to leave three shiny golden nuggets for our listeners. So what would be those three Mm. shiny golden nuggets that you would like to leave for our listeners today?
1: Mm. So I was thinking about that. um, And, and I think that I'm just going to go off the cuff based on what's inspired from this conversation. So the first golden nugget I would say is Don't believe the messages that you can't. The second golden nugget is there's nothing in yourself that is the enemy. And the third golden nugget is if it's calling out, if it causes pain, if you feel a block, it's calling for your attention and your love. Mm. So just end the war. It's that way that we heal and we grow strong.
0: Oh, I love that. Absolutely love that. So Heather, where is the best place for our listeners to find you? Oh, yes. Yeah.
1: So the best place is you can go to my website, which is my name, Heather Preet, really easy, mindfulness. If you just put in heatherpreetmindfulness.com or heatherpreetmindfulness, you can find me. And there I have a schedule of I teach um, uh, to the public at the Den Meditation Center in Los Angeles. I do Skype. So you can always get a hold of me through that website. If you wanted to set up one-on-one um, sessions, I, I meet with people sometimes twice a week, once a week, once a month. Um, and, uh, and really you can just reach out. There's a way to sign up for email and you can reach out. And, and I would love to help direct you if you are in another country and you want to find a place to learn these practices, I'd be happy to send you some information as well. So I'm here at the Den. I'm online. And um, and I'd love to connect with anyone who's mm,
0: moved. Beautiful. So Heather, we'll yeah. have all of that in the show notes. There, Heather, I can't right. thank you enough for coming on oh. the show. I am feeling so blessed out right now. Yay! Yay! For so us. thank you. And I'm sure our <laughs> listeners will too. And I'm sure they'll reach out. Thank you so, so very much for your time and your energy and sharing your wisdom mm. with us.
1: Yes, my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you so much for everything. And, and I'm just going to send so much um, love and support to everyone who's listening. And just know we're all in this together. No one's alone. Mm, thank you. Thank
0: you, honey. where you have a choice from six guided meditations or an e-book to soothe your soul. Now, if you have any questions or special guests that you would like to hear from, please send us an email to support at Catherineplano.com.au and we will get right back to you. You can also find us on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook at Catherine Plano. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Until next week, please take care of yourself.